You're listening to A Mighty Love, the podcast for honest and witty love wisdom. Hello, listeners, and welcome back to A Mighty Love. I am one of your hosts, your co-hosts, excuse me, Mm -hmm. Demetrius. I am one of your co-hosts, Paul A.M. Galsis. And thank you all for listening. And of course, my name is Demetrius. It's good to have you here with us. <laughs> good. Good to remind people who you are and yep. what we're doing yeah, here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We are a podcast for dating and relationships, just if you're unclear on what this podcast is yeah. about. All about uh, investing in love, dating, and everything else in the way that makes sense for you. Yes. So today's topic, can you set us up? Sure. So we're going to do a pop culture relationship review. So we are going to take fictional couples from pop culture, treat them as if they are real, and uh, kind of weigh in on what we think their problems are and maybe give them some advice. Yeah, yeah. I, I think everyone at some point, if you hang around enough couples, you're like, oh, wow, this is this observation I have about this couple. Maybe they should work on XYZ, but we're not going to. can't tell your friends. I don't think it's a good way yeah. in and be like, yeah. listen... Janet. Dennis is a real problem. <laughs> Dennis is a real problem. Uh, I mean, if he is, maybe you should say something to Janet, but that's your decision. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. you know, getting involved in your friends' relationships is a tricky business. Yes. But uh, luckily, these are fictional characters, and they can't get mad at us if we give them bad advice. Yeah, so, and I would also I we're add, safe. Yes, yes, we are safe. Um, but I would say if you recognize something in your own relationship mm-hmm. from these fictional depictions of relationships, maybe consider the advice and the implications of that behavior that we identified right if you're like oh my gosh i'm such a lucy and you're such a ricky (laughs) we're a total ricardo couple yeah ask yourself some questions about whether that's a good thing yeah also good luck on your chocolate factory job (laughs) anyway all right moving on to our relationship review so we are going to kick it off with Betty, and, Betty Don and Don Draper. Yeah. A couple that clearly has a lot of love. Yes. A lot of love for... Actually, no. You themselves? Know I think I they think... hate themselves, too. Yeah, I was going to say, I think neither one loves much of anything. Alcohol? Cigarettes? Yeah. Love feeling nothing, I think. Yeah. I think that they both love not feeling. Yeah. Yeah. They would, yeah. They would love it if they just never felt ever again. Yeah. Yeah. They're a weird, weird duo. Yeah. I just imagine, imagine you, first of all, you had to be white because you wouldn't have been invited to one of their house parties. But imagine they, that couple through a house party uh, and you were invited and, you know, you come in and there's this immediate tenseness. He's clearly drunk. Mm-hmm. She is miserable and smoking like a chimney in the kitchen away from them. Right. Their uh, children have dry cleaning bags over their heads. <laughs> You're like filled with lead chips. Sure, you know? you're like this is a happy family. This is a happy family. I would. I want to come to more parties here. <laughs> oh god, um, Jesus Christ! In all seriousness, I think that if you see a couple like that, one of the things that stands out, one of the things that always stood out to me is that I wasn't joking when I said that they don't love anything. They don't really seem to love each other. Uh, they might desire each other as objects of status and value you know you have this beautiful former model as your wife it's great because there's a certain amount of status that comes with it sure and this high-powered handsome exec who's on the partner track yeah when she got married he was a you know rising star salesman yeah Yeah. but they clearly both have a lot of 
deep-seated trauma that they have never dealt with. Yeah, I mean, both of them are so out there. I mean, I read this one article, and one of the interesting about things about Betty is that different family members call her different things. Yes. Like, Don calls her Betty, but also sometimes he calls her Bitsy. Bitsy? Or, or Birdie. Birdie, yeah. And then her brother calls her different things, and then her dad calls her different things. Like, mm-hmm. I guess she's Elizabeth. Betty makes sense, you yeah. know? But, like, it's like, who even is she? Because mm. she has a different, million different names. I mean, well, I that, have... Isn't that kind of the point of, like, her last season as a character? That yeah. she ultimately wanted to learn who she was by going back to school, and then she, like, finds out that she's going to... Yeah, spoiler, spoiler alert, everyone, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I like our disdainful yeah. spoiler alert. Yeah, it's like, the show ended quite some time ago, and if you haven't watched it, that's your problem. Maybe we should just start this whole season by being like, spoiler alert. Spoiler alert for all... Go watch everything. Pop culture. And then come back. <laughs> depictions of romance. Yeah. Spoilers. I think also, like, Betty is so weird. It, she is super hard to understand. Mm-hmm. She, like... She fluctuates all over the place between, like, angry and sad and distant and manipulative. The way she treats Sally sometimes really makes me sick, you know? It's yeah, just like, yeah. man, growing with a mom like that, good luck ever being a sane person. I mean, the boys, too, but, you know, Sally's the only character they fully... The only child they fully explore on the show. Yeah. Yeah. I think they had, like, five different actors for Bobby. <laughs> I honestly can't even remember the other ones. Yeah, names. I mean, I think I think even the cast like jokes about it. Like there were like a handful of actors that played Bobby, including some episodes where they're like in a Halloween costume and it's just a child about the right size. Oh, really? Yeah, that um, is a, that is a great I mean, both like real world example of like meaninglessness of a character. Yeah, is that no one noticed? No one cares. They're like oh, that's a different Bobby. Yeah. Doesn't matter. Oh yeah, to so Don. then Don, God. So he, for, and speaking of people who don't know who they are, like, you know, he changed his identity, which is made sense, I guess, for where he was at and what was going on with him. But then, like, just fully fucking leaned in. Yeah. He didn't even tell Betty about it at any point. Yeah, that's really weird. Like, she figured it out by finding something in a drawer or something. Yeah, I would say that there's nothing wrong with reinventing yourself. Yeah. Um, Even changing your name, like, there's nothing wrong with that on its own. There's nothing wrong with even, like, taking inspiration from someone else's name i mean yeah. rappers do it and they have a whole persona and they sure. build it around like some rappers are named after real drug dealers and mm. it's kind of like this is who i want to be this is aspirational this, this is, is like, the image I this is the convey. character i'm playing sure and i mean you know i'm or anonymous do it. Yeah. i have a character that i am um, it's mostly me but you know yeah but i think the difference is that if you aspire to be a certain person with a certain type of characteristics there's nothing wrong with that but if you use your pain to transform yourself into something you're not, but then hide behind this veneer and never address the issues why you want to have a different identity, you will always carry that pain into all your relationships. Yeah. I mean, Don doesn't seem to have any fucking clue how to relate to other people, probably because his own childhood was so bizarre. And like yeah. he, so he was raised by his dad and stepmom, mostly. Or am I confusing it? I think it's I think it's his dad, but I don't know. I can't remember if it's, it's his a, real dad. Like his, oh yeah, I think he was raised by his mom, and then she died, and then it was mostly his stepdad. Yes, and, and then, then his stepdad's wife, right? Who's and it just got weirder. So I can understand maybe that just creates like a real problem being able to like 
grow functional familial relationships. Sure, yeah. And but you know, he should deal with that. I mean, I guess it was the fifties, so there was still a lot of like weird Freudian shit around psychology and yeah. I can only imagine Or just what saying that you have a problem that can't be defined as like a cold. Yeah, is and not very manly. Yes, exactly. No, it's not masculine to be like, I have a hard time with relationships because my mom is dead. Yeah, or um, I never, yeah. Yeah, he's like a classic, um, people talked about that character, like he was this groundbreaking character. And I think it had a lot to do with John Hamm's portrayal and the fact that sure. John Hamm is both really, really charming as an actor and also really handsome. Yeah, but he's just, alarmingly, disturbingly handsome. Yeah, but yes. he's just a guy who doesn't know how to relate to people had a really screwed up childhood especially around women because he grew up in a whorehouse as well yeah and then he goes on to become hyper promiscuous it's not groundbreaking it's a lot of characters i mean there's a lot of actors like this in shows i mean especially from you know like 10 years ago i guess when the show started that are like anti-hero horrible men yes that we somehow root for and somehow don't root for you know yeah, like there's a of lot course. of characters who fall in this category like you know holden caulfield and walter white from breaking bad you know and um it has its time and place like it can be a little bit much to like get invested in characters like this because it's kind of like gross yeah it um, makes you feel bad because you're rooting you for gross. the bad you're guy. like do i even want you to win i don't even know what i want anymore Don has its moments. Like he, there are moments when he's like very sweet to Peggy mm-hmm. and to his children, but he can also be a real fucking asshole. Yeah. So it's yeah. No, I, don't know. I would. I would. If I knew that couple, I would say, "Are you guys seeing a marriage counselor? I mean, are you separately both seeing a therapist to address the underlying trauma that is informing your relationship?" They both need a right lot now? of work. I do. <laughs> I do think it's probably for the best that they got divorced. Betty jumped into that relationship with the next guy, who seemed like a really nice guy, but. I don't think she was ready for that either. Yeah. I mean, a nice man who wants to take care of you is a pretty good situation for a lady of that era. Yeah. So that's good. Yeah. But uh, I would yeah. also say one of the things that stood out to me is they're, both of their just underlying resentment that had new levels added to it as they got older. Yeah. And one of the things that really, I think they touch on a bit, but they don't really, really dig into is how Betty wanted to be a woman of the times mm-hmm. but got stuck in a role that she didn't want she i don't think she like the character didn't want to be a housewife she wanted to be a model and learn and read and be you know yeah. this fabulous woman who she got really, stuck in this she really got trapped in a life that wasn't her dream um at all like i think she felt like she was supposed to do it and she mm-hmm. was supposed to want to do it yeah. and then she just figured out that that wasn't actually what she wanted but then she's just sort of stewed in resentment and was sh- a shitty person yeah i don't know i try not to be too hard on her for being a shitty mom i think i think of that era in real life there were a lot of shitty moms <laughs> who kind of got like painted into the corner of being a housewife who would never have chosen that and if yeah. they were alive today would definitely fucking wouldn't do it so i try not to be too hard on them but at the same time it's like yeah but you're your kids didn't do great and yeah. not to Don was a real piece of shit too. You know, like I, like he was a terrible dad. He just like vanishes for months, goes off that yeah, stupid road yeah. trip. Who gives a shit? He didn't even like care that he'd like missed like months of custody. Yeah. What a, give he's, me a fucking break. He's like maybe the worst dad on TV. He's kind of the worst that dad is, on that, TV. He's the worst dad that is portrayed as the, as maybe not the worst dad yeah. of a show. <laughs> yeah. Like, I think Tony Soprano went to, like, his kids, like, recitals and stuff. Like, there's yeah. episodes where he's, like, sitting in a crowd for a high school recital. 
Like, he was terrible as mm-hmm. a husband and father, but, like, he still least, showed up. At least he went know? to the baseball games or whatever. He, like, provided for his family and was there quite a bit. Like, well, he had dinners with them and stuff. That's, I mean, yeah, he should teach Don a thing or two. One of the most profound parts of Mad Men to me was at the very end when Betty writes that letter to Sally about her yes, funeral. Yeah. Um, it's still very narcissistic because it's a lot about how she wants to be seen once she's dead. But, um... Like, it always has stuck with me that she she shows some sliver of understanding Sally in that letter. Yes, yeah. Where she says, you know, I've always worried about you because you marched to the beat of your own drum. But now I know that's a good thing and your life will be an adventure. And I'm like, that's the fucking nicest thing she's ever going to say That's the Sally. only good thing she ever really yeah. said to her, yeah. The other advice I remember that Betty gave Sally, which I thought was disturbing, is like, I think when Sally was like a little girl, she kissed her neighbor or something. Yes, the weird kid. Who yeah, like, that weird kid who grew up in the, ugh. Anyway. Still was weird. Somehow. Still was weird. Um, <laughs> that she's like, you don't kiss boys. Boys kiss you. Which oh, is some yeah. interesting Betty advice. Yes, yeah. It's the role she took in her life. She became this incredibly passive person and mm. she didn't want it, which was. Yeah. Anyway, I Let's don't move think... Let's on to a happier one. Let's move on to a happier one. <laughs> so, our advice to that couple is just seek help both as a couple and also individually. And when you eventually do break up, as Don and Betty did, continue seeking help. Like Continue seeking help. You guys need some family therapy and try to give a little bit more of a shit about your children, please. Yeah, yeah. Try to think about them. A little bit. Oh, God. Let's talk about a positive couple. All right, so a positive couple is Morticia and Gomez Adams from the Adams Family. Yes, yes. So I love, okay, first of all, I love the Adams Family. Like, I love the whole premise of, like, this creepy, spooky family that, like, lives in a weird house, but also just doesn't give a shit when yeah. anyone else thinks they're like, Also yeah. a non-traditional family unit. It's like the uncle's there, the weird cousin. Mm-hmm. Um, the weird grandma. Yes, of course. They'll just... live in this giant house, the cemetery, and they're, they are very comfortable with not fitting in. They're like, yeah. we know we're not like anyone else, and it's fine, mm-hmm. and we're cool with it. Yeah. <laughs> Part of it is the privilege, I guess, of having all that gold or whatever. I don't understand. They're rich, right? Yes. I think they just come from money. They come from money. Spooky money. Spooky money. Pirate money. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I can't remember that that well. But what I no. do remember about... Um, I didn't really read the comics because I wasn't born in the 60s, I guess. Right. Is when they peaked. But I, yeah. Uh, what I remember distinctly about all of the depictions of just the um, Morticia and Gomez is that they both are incredibly supportive and loving and communicative. Yeah. They are constantly like affectionate and talking to each other about how they feel about stuff. Yeah. Um, you know. They like their kids a lot and spend a lot of time They're with their kids. They're involved in their lives. Yeah. Um, they spend a lot of energy creating passion between each other. That's true. They also don't uh, try to make their kids conform where they do not need to conform. No. I think I think they probably said, like, don't murder people. Right. Um, but or do in these specific circumstances, these, yeah. which are acceptable. I remember there's, like, a scene where I think Morticia's at, like, a parent-teacher conference, and she's talking to about their family tree, and she's like, oh, this is her aunt who was uh, ran naked through the streets and was burned as a witch. <laughs> and then the teacher looks concerned, and she goes, but don't worry, I told Wednesday, college first. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, supporting a woman getting an education and yes, doing yeah. what she needs to do. It's, uh, I'm trying to think of, um, I remember distinctly, they play it off as a joke, but in the first movie, when Christopher Lloyd is playing the character that is 
pretending to be Gomez's brother. Oh, um, pretending to be Uncle every, Fester. Uncle Fester, yeah. yeah. So when he is pretending to be Uncle Fester, I, I think I distinctly remember Morticia asking Gomez how he feels about the situation. Yeah. It was very much like, well, how do you feel about this? I mean, it probably was played as a joke. and mm-hmm. like, Oh, he's back and we'll get back to murdering stuff, yada yada. But it was like... They're just like a really sweet, loving couple who are just really odd and they're not normal, but they're just good parents and good partners. They're very like well connected. And uh, my one of my favorite parts is in the second movie after the baby is born. She's sort of, you know, sort of sadly saying to her husband, you know, I just I wish I had more time to follow those hellish demons. And, you know, I of course, I love being a mother and. But I just wish I had more time to myself. And he's like, and you will. And that's why they hire the nanny, who turns out to be crazy yeah. in a different way yes. than they are. Uh, but, like, that's supportive. Like, I want you to have the time you need to do to follow your interests, and I will support you. And I guess they have the privilege of all their creepy money. But yeah. <laughs> certainly very supportive and thoughtful. Yes. That, that does go a long way. Go back to your floral arrangements of cutting the roses off the stems. Cut the roses off the stems, yeah. I really yeah. like that touch. Um, one of the things that I thought was really cool, and I forget where I saw it, but... I think when either at the end of the first movie, Morticia's pregnant or she gives birth at the end. I forget what the sequence is. I think is. she gives birth at the very beginning of the second movie. Right. Yeah. And I think that the the scene I'm thinking of specifically is when they're like, is it a boy or is it a girl? And um, oh, yeah. Gomez says, it's an Adams. Yes. And, and that's they don't what gender the, the baby. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, wow, this movie is incredibly progressive. There are two things from the second movie that I really think are pretty great too, which is, so the nanny needs to get rid of the kids. So she cooks up some lie about how they really want to go to summer camp. Yes. And the parents are sort of baffled because obviously that's not them at all. Yeah. But they're like, okay, if the kids want to go to summer camp, that's what they'll do. They're like, they're like, okay, fine. You're, you want to do something that's definitely not us. Great. We'll yeah. support you. Turns out that's not what the kids wanted, but... But some of the greatest scenes... Our friend from that summer camp is so <laughs> amazing. And the other thing is, um, so when the nanny marries Uncle Fester, um, they go and confront her at the house, and Morticia has sort of like this great monologue where she's like, Debbie, you're keeping my brother-in-law hostage under some sort of weird sex spell. You're, you know, taking all his money. All that I respect. <laughs> But Debbie, pastels. <laughs> Angelica Houston is so, so underrated. She is so good. That just reminded yeah. me, like, her and that and Royal Tenenbaum. Oh, she my just God. kills. I kind of want to be best friends with her. I do, too. I want to, like, have a cup of tea with her yeah. every weekend. I want to sit down and be like, I need some advice. You seem like you know what you're doing. Yes, exactly. I think the way they light her in the Addams Family movies is amazing oh she's stunning she's the only one that's lit like that even as a kid i was like this is an incredible touch yeah Um, she's an amazing lady so anyway uh, if i could just make my relationships more like that i think i'd be sad yeah i would i would just add nothing i they just seem like an ideal relationship they communicate they're affectionate they Mm -hmm. are involved in their parent their children's lives they will let their kids do things that are outside of what they think of as normal but they are loving and accepting no matter what like they're just really good like that's kind of the whole point is that they're the only really good depictions of a family unit in the entire movie like the gimmick is that they're weirdos yeah but aside from that they're like great people yeah that's a very 90s thing too because i feel like the 90s was all about look at these non-traditional families ha 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 really we're trying to convey that you know, you can be a non-traditional family and be loving and accepting. Like, yeah. All these, all these like TV shows from the '90s geared toward kids were all about 
look at these non-traditional people's lives and yet it still works out like even something mm-hmm. like full house it's mm-hmm. like a widowed father and who is, two, needs help raising his like bajillion so he gets kids. his two buddies to help him raise his daughters and yeah. like oh look it's a family we're all together yeah we're in this together yeah in san francisco sure that house that's, makes sense yeah for that's... a a morning tv show host <laughs> i don't know even in the 90s i don't think that's very realistic yeah no no they had a giant house that was looked like i don't think houses even look like that where they were supposed to be located. no yeah. there's no way and also they're supposed to live in one of those famous houses on alamo square and i'm like come on yeah come on did it offend your uh like bay area sensibilities I think I was too little when the show came on to like really get how that doesn't fit at all. And the older I got, I'm like, that's absurd. But I'm like, ugh, whatever. Yeah. I remember as a kid thinking like, when I grow up, I'm going to sit in coffee shops and kill time all day. Yeah, sure. Why? And, what's a job? Yeah. Well, what is a job anyway? I don't know. Yeah. How would I know something like that? Yeah. Um, speaking of sitting yeah. in coffee shops all day. Oh, so, okay. We can't do this episode without addressing... Ross and Rachel. I love Ross and Rachel. Oh, yeah? Yes. I think that the reason why I love Ross and Rachel as a relationship, in all seriousness, is that they do grow as a relationship and they grow together and separately. Uh, So I think it's a good... I don't think they set out to do that. I think they had a very, very normal, like, rom-com setup. This guy who's obsessed with this woman, he eventually gets the girl and he eventually loses the girl, but... That's the least interesting parts of their relationship. I think the show gets worse as it becomes more realistic, but like they grow yeah. up and like co parent and all that stuff's good. Yeah, they're a weird duo. They. Yeah. Anything where you've built someone way up in your mind and then you finally date them is going to be a bizarre dynamic that's going to create a lot of tension and problems where they're yeah. like, no one can ever live up to this weird fantasy teen ideal that you have in your mind like mm-hmm. no one could do that and no. then especially not rachel but also nobody no one no one no one ever could no one ever will because the version of that person you have in your head is just never going to be that like no. i'm sure that if you let's say you had a high school obsession you were obsessed with the person in high school and then when you meet them again when you're an adult and you've had all these life things happen you know you've been married you got divorced. Your wife left. After your wife left you, she realized that she likes women. And then she has since moved on. You're co-parenting with that person. Yeah. And then this person who you're sometimes. obsessed with in high school sometimes. Yeah. Barely. <laughs> uh, which I think is actually very accurate. I think that it, they didn't want it to be that way. But I think it's really, really accurate that someone who has the personality of Ross would not be that involved in their kid's life. Because he's yeah. an asshole and he's self-centered. Yes. Um, all that said, I think that... It is interesting to me that someone who has had all these life things happen could not see what being with Rachel would actually be like. She doesn't have life skills. She doesn't know how to function in the world. All she wanted to be was a trophy wife. Mm-hmm. You are a highly accomplished paleontologist who has been divorced. Like, yeah. why are you still obsessed with her? I don't know. It's bizarre. And, I mean, to weigh in briefly on his paleontology careers, this is also not very realistic for no. lots of reasons, which we don't even need to get into. But, like, I'm like, come on, you guys. Like, if he was, if he seriously had that job, he'd have absolutely no free time. He'd be working, yeah. like, 90 hours a week. Yeah. Publishing, sweating, not hanging around in coffee shops, neglecting his son. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. Or maybe neglecting his son for yeah, work reasons, but that's son. more acceptable, I guess. <laughs> and also, I don't think he'd be able to afford the apartment he had. None Hell of them can afford no. their apartments. That's Hell an important no. part of this. I think they actually do address one of the characters. Monica, it's like Monica's grandmother's apartment that yeah. they got rent control Which is realistic, because yeah. like I have a cousin who's living in my grandmother's apartment. That's oh, a thing. Well, that's nice. Yeah. How nice for them. Yeah. I'm not sure. Nobody tell Nigel. I I won't. I won't go contact them and let them know. But yeah, so there's that. And then, you know, there's the whole we were on a break thing, which is like a whole so fucked up. Like, if you're going to take a break, you should define what a break means. Yes. Like, like, let's not talk to each other for a couple of weeks, but don't fuck anyone else. Mm -hmm. Or let's not talk for two months and fuck whoever you like, but we're not going to talk about it if we decide to come back together or whatever. Something in between, yeah. Something well-defined, and if it's not well-defined, then you both have to take fucking ownership for the fact that it wasn't well-defined, and it's not a betrayal if neither of you understood the rules. Yes, I agree. Uh, That actually leads me to a point that I didn't even know I wanted to make, but you know how we talk about when people enter into relationships as defining the relationship? Yes. I think that that is actually a great term, and it informs what people should do in relationships rather than what people actually do in relationships in that the same way that the dictionary will update a definition when the meaning or use of a word changes, Mm. people should continuously define their relationship. What does it mean to be in this relationship? Yeah. So not just you should define we are on a break. Now we're off a break. What does that mean? What is a break? What is, what does it mean? What does cheating mean to you? Right. Is it emotional? Is it physical? Is it a combination of those things? Is it you not trusting me? Is it you being dishonest about certain things? Like, continuously define the relationship. That would be my piece of advice for a relationship like Ross and Rachel's. But also my piece of advice for Ross would just be do not put people up on a pedestal when... Just don't. That's it. it. That was all. They can never live up to it. (laughs) They will never live up to it. You're just putting a lot of pressure on them. My friend... um, actually told me that every year on her anniversary that she and her husband have an honest conversation like are we still in you want to do another year that's a good another year that's a good strategy i think it's great i think it's great to like be super honest with each other she's been married once before which is i think why she maybe brings some wisdom to this conversation but i think it's a good thing to just sort of check in and i mean it's it's actually one of the things I really like about polyamory when it's done well is like a lot of the conversations you have with your partners are very practical and specific. How often do you want to hang out? What kind of relationship does this look like? Okay, things are changing. Now what do you want it to look like? Yeah. At least the way I try to do it, I try to have these things. And sometimes I pose a question. I'm like, you actually don't have to answer this right now. Can you think about this for a while? And then we'll talk about it. And like... Certainly, Ross and Rachel could have benefited a lot from, let's think about what we really want. Like, especially when things got fucking weird, like when they got pregnant and then they were maybe together or maybe not. Like, what what is it going to mean to be co-parents? Like, what kind of relationship do we want to have? And, like, having those conversations really explicitly is difficult, but Mm -hmm. I think create something better. And this is something that I think the monogamists can take from polyamory is to have more explicit conversations about what you actually fucking want from the other person. I would agree and have it be an ongoing conversation. Yes, not a yeah. one-time. Yeah, one time. You know, the the relationship you defined when you were in 22 is going to be very different. Very, not always, but v- very likely very different from the relationship that you would have at 32. Absolutely. I mean, it is interesting that Ross and Rachel actually both changed quite a bit over the show. And, like, that's real. Yeah. People change a lot. 
and you have to keep updating. Now I'm this kind of person. Now you're this kind of person. What does our relationship mean now? Yeah. I think if you look at friends, less is about a group of friends and more about a woman growing mm-hmm. into the person she never knew she wanted to be. Yeah. That's Rachel. Yeah, it's you know, true. She, she did a com- not just a 180, like it's like a 359. I don't know. Like She's she, com- <laughs> completely She different. went really far. Yeah. And in a, in a good way, like she took control of her career. I, I guess I don't know how I feel about her not going to France. Oh, yeah, yeah, well... But, you know, there you go. Yeah, yes. It's complicated. Once you have a kid, you can't just do whatever, so, you know, I everyone has to make compromises, so yeah, I don't we know. All, we all do compromise. But, you know, given Ross's career flexibility, maybe he should have gone and done some French paleontology or something. Yeah, of course, why I not? I mean, in that universe, apparently that's a choice. Is or it? why not? I don't know. It's not a choice in real world, but I is mean, that a real <laughs> world? Oh, I know. I, yeah. I was legitimately asking you. I don't know, I mean... <laughs> What's the paleontology scene like in France? Um, it's well, I don't know a lot about it, but I do know. <laughs> you know more than me. I do know that um that they don't necessarily publish everything in English, which is the norm for most other countries, even if they're not English speaking. English is the language of science, for better oh. or for worse. France sort of is still hanging on to being like, no, we're going to publish in French, but then that just means they don't get cited by non-French speakers, ah. or you have to like really futz through to like learn it um like i in my research i had to futz through to like read some french articles and it was rough um i don't know any french at all so it was like a lot of google translate it was oh super and then like hard. trying to convey like meaning right like yeah. is this what they mean is this what this is and is i'm this like a looking at a phrase or is this like, a literal translation maybe i'll just look at these uh graphs and hope yes. that that's enough <laughs> Uh, that does sound like a very French thing, though. Like, yeah. we refuse yeah. to publish this in English. Yeah. Because of England. So, <laughs> I, I don't know. Maybe if Rosh knows a bunch of French, he'd be fine. I don't, I don't know. All right. So, our last couple that we were going to yes. tap in yes. is Miranda and Steve from Sex, Sex in the, the City. Um, I think they're an interesting couple. What, you tell you we were talking about this earlier. What was the hierarchy of couples you were talking about? Oh, my hierarchy of couples yeah. from Sex and the City couples is the best couple. I think is um, Samantha and Smith. Mm-hmm. Uh, but primarily because Smith is maybe I think Smith is the best partner on the show. Period. Yeah, he is the most supportive, forgiving, loving partner. No one does any of the stuff he does. I think a close second is Charlotte and I forget the character's name, but her husband, her second husband, the Jewish man. Yeah. Um, I think he's really loving and caring, but I would say that she does most of the heavy lifting in terms of compromise there. She does. Um, he does too. Like Harry. He's, Harry, yes. Um, I think he's like really sweet and kind and loving, but Smith is like above and beyond like he was like yeah i know you just cheated on me five minutes ago like and i understand you're hurting now let's go yeah like i was like what and the smith fuck? also like pushed samantha to like understand herself a lot better like I, there was the episode where she was speaking at an organization for cancer mm-hmm. and she was writing her speech and practicing it for him and he's like i don't think you're putting your whole self into this the way you could like yeah. he was like he was actually like a very mature nuanced Man. Yeah. Given that he is younger and a model. Yeah. Surprising. Yeah. People I think, have depth. Yeah. He had like a serious amount of depth. And I remember watching, I, I don't think I watched the last season with uh, Barishnikov. Mm, like yeah. I caught part of it. Or I think they split it into two seasons. The way yeah. That, that sounds does. right. But I didn't watch 
too much of the last two seasons or the last move or the first or second movie. But I do remember the scene where she, I think maybe it's not the scene where she finds out she has cancer or when she tells him he has, she has cancer. And then also when she like cuts all her hair off and mm-hmm. he cuts off his beautiful model hair. Yeah. Like in solidarity. I was like, geez, man, this guy. Yeah. Like, oh, he's so wonderful. And, you know. But so- third is Miranda and Steve. Because oh, God. of Primarily because of the dynamics of their relationship and how true to life it seems. They're both flawed people Mm -hmm. but they both really try like they're real they do put their hearts into it like they both care about being a good parent they both and their love i don't know there's something about their relationship also really appeals to me and the like you know like when they decide to finally get married that they you know they're like having like a hilarious moment where like they step in gum and they drop groceries all over the ground <laughs> and like they're just like oh my god this is so us and they're like bickering and having beers and like they're very like real you yeah. know like that's i mean that's my experience it's like you can have like a beautiful perfect engagement but you can also just be real yeah and that doesn't mean that there's less love it just yeah. means like this is who we are yeah i love that they they both push each other to grow uh, yeah. They both compromise. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's that's the thing is that like she grows and changes and he grows and changes. And yeah. they're incredibly flawed, but really honest about those flaws yeah. in a lot of ways. And in the movie, uh, they obviously have a huge reckoning mm-hmm. um, where they break up for a while and have to decide whether or not they're going to come back together. And I was mentioning this off air, but um, I saw the movie in the theater twice for logistical reasons and also because I guess I love this show a lot more than I thought I did. And I cried in the theater both times when I, in the scene where they meet on the Brooklyn Bridge and decide to come back together and like, I think... They meet halfway. Yes, they meet yeah. halfway and I like, there's something really beautiful to me about saying like, we've both made a lot of fucking mistakes and like, we both did bad things, but like I still choose you and I'm still here. So like, let's, let's be done and move forward together. Like that's amazing. If you can actually do that and live by that. Yeah. Agreed. Your relationship has a lot of potential to last a long time. I think of the couples, I think they're the most realistic given Mm -hmm. that they don't have a pile of creepy money. Um, Yes. And that they honestly are both kind of fucked up people, but they love each other and they want to do the work. Yeah. No. And I think, their willingness to compromise yeah. and their willingness to treat each other as equals, regardless of social standing, financial, whatever. Yeah. Um, I think that alone, just their relationship seems more like modern relationships than any of the other ones that we have now. Yeah. You know, not everyone ha- can have spooky money and afford to pay for a nanny. No. But the fact that, you know, we're let's meet halfway, let's compromise where we live. Like, those sound like the relationships that I see in my life. Yeah. Um, among friends and relatives, peers. It just seems more equal than yeah. all the other relationships. Also that they accidentally got pregnant is, you know, more <laughs> common than you would fucking think. <laughs> oh, yes. Yep. You know, that, that she's like, you have one testicle, I have one ovary, I think we're safe. Yeah. Nope. Nope. <laughs> Oh, God, I forgot about that. Yeah. I forgot about the whole, like, one testicle, one ovary. Because wasn't her whole thing, like, she wanted to have a family, and then she sort of thought she could never have a family, and it was, like, heartbreaking for her? I think so. I don't I don't remember focusing a lot on that aspect in the show. I don't know. I, li- I like Miranda because she's kind of not afraid to be a bitch. 
Yeah. And I get, like, her own character development is really interesting, but also, like, to carry a lot, she was, like, very much a voice of reason of, like, stopping yes. a dummy. Carrie yeah. never learns um, yeah. is an important part of the show. So I guess I don't remember that as much about Miranda, maybe, as I do remember in her, like, encouraging Carrie to stop acting like a five-year-old yeah. and grow the fuck up. Yeah. But She's... that does sound true. I, that sounds in character for her. And, you know, struggling with being a lawyer and a single mom for mm-hmm. a good part of the show... You know, she's lucky that she makes good money and she can afford to yeah. do what she does. I know a single mom by choice um, whose kid is friends with my kid. And, like, my God, she, like, that is hard. Yeah. I really hand it to her because she's not just doing it. Like, she's killing it. She's a great mom. And, like, That's I'm like, awesome. that takes balls to do this by yourself or whatever ovaries, I guess. But, like, they she's doing tougher. it. And she's she's great. I don't know. I aspire to be, like, as, like, much of a badass as she is. Is that the thing you love this that week? That is the thing I love. Yeah. <laughs> it's a transition. My kid's friend's mom is the greatest. <laughs> yeah, actually. Have yeah. You okay. That's a good thing you love. That's... Yeah. I I just admire her. She has, like, so much patience. It's, like, humor. Like, her kid has, like, some developmental disabilities, like, that are pretty mild. And she, like, puts a lot of time and energy into making sure what he gets what he wants. But also just, like, she, like, even when she's, like, exhausted and picking him up, she, like will laugh and like be super like loving and engaged and like i wish i had the patience she has that's awesome. she's great yeah yeah so shout out to you mom whose name i probably shouldn't use yeah and who probably won't be listening to probably not listening <laughs> yeah. but you know if she is you know who you are You're yeah. great on that theme the thing i love uh this week but like always uh my mom came to visit me this past week um mm-hmm. but by the time this airs it'll be like a month later but by the time this airs, it'll be a month later. But my mom came to visit me last week. And um, you always forget, like, I have a really, to be clear, I have a really good relationship with my mother. So for you, it might not be the same experience, whoever you are listening. But there is really is, like, nothing like your mom when you have a, like, warm, loving, caring mother. There is really nothing like your mom when you have that kind of a relationship with her where she's like, oh, I'm so happy that you're doing these things. And I'm so proud of you. And this is great. And I had been having, like, a really shitty, like, run at my day job. Yeah. Like, just busy, working crazy hours. And my mom came to visit me. And I'm like, oh, everything is better now. Like, literally everything is better now. So, shout out to my mother again. This is probably, like, the second time that I've shouted her out. But, you know. She's awesome. So yeah, if you're if you had a Betty Draper mom, you might not feel. No, that. no, my mother is the exact opposite. Like there is very my mother is like the mom in any black sitcom from the nineties. My mm. mother is like that. Like my mother's like warm, caring, socially conscious. Like mm-hmm. yeah, I know. Smart. Raising a bunch of kids, really smart. Takes no bullshit. Like <laughs> literally, like oh, this is like. The mom from Family Matters, or the mom from... Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of another one. Um, uh, the Cosby Show. Maybe not The Cosby Show. Yeah, well, that's... <laughs> I mean, that show has problems, but, uh, you know. Uh, <laughs> Harriet from Family Matters. Yeah, yeah. Like, a, like a Harriet from Family Matters. She, um, like, they built that show around that character. Yeah. Yeah, she became less important as the show went on. As but, the show yeah. went on because of, like, the prominence of Urkel, but... Mm, good God. They, in the 90s, they did a really good job of accurately representing a lot of, like, black family dynamics in that they are very similar to a lot of white family dynamics in that the mom may not be the breadwinner or maybe not the highest breadwinner, but she runs the house. Like, yeah. You know, and in a lot of cases, that's true of every ethnicity. Mm-hmm. 
So, you know. And I did, you know, they, not to stray too far off. I mean, like, the, in that show, they did sort of present Carl, the dad, as sort of, like, hapless. But also, at times, like, he was, like, powerful and, like, a really yeah. good force in their kids' lives. So, I, I like that he wasn't, like, a complete Homer Simpson. Yeah, no. He, he, he would up. take a back seat when, like, his wife was involved. But I, I remember distinctly watching... Every 90s sitcom that had a black family at the center had, like, one police episode. Yeah. And so the police episode with Family Matters was Carl confronting fellow cops because he's a, yeah. the character's a cop. And he confronts them and gives, like, a whole, like, monologue about yeah. the dangers of how the police people, because of their color. Uh, but nine times out of ten, he was just, like, getting it, throwing Urkel out of the house or something. Sure. So, you know. Mm-hmm. But still. Yeah. Good show. Great so, show. Anyway, they should make a show about your mom. Oh, uh, God. Oof, I wish. That'd be great. Multi-layered show. Yeah. My girlfriend always says my mom is really stylish, which is true. She is oh. very stylish. She also wears, like, the brightest, like, her color palette for what she wears is, like, yellow, orange, red, tropical. And she grew mm-hmm. up in New York. She's, like, the like you would never guess. She always dresses like it's the Bahamas. Awesome. Yeah. yeah she's wonderful. Shout out to you, Mom. All right. All right. Are we ready to wrap? Yeah, we're ready All to wrap. Right. Um, enough... Enough good things about my mother. Enough and... good things about Demetrius' mom. Yes. All right. Or can you ever say enough good things about your mom? I don't no. Think <laughs> <laughs> I think that's worth closing note. All right. So be good to your mom. Yes. Um, no, just to close. Yes, be good to your moms as long as they're good to you. Um, if they're terrible people, you don't have to have relationships with your mother. You don't have no. to have the kind of relationship I have with my mom. If your mom was like verbally abusive to you or insults you or calls you fat every time she sees you, like Maybe. it's okay. Yeah. Yeah, find your maternal figures where you can. They don't actually have to be related to you. No. And, you know, for couples, like, these are all fictional. Obviously, they don't exist in reality. But it's kind of fun to do an experiment about what are these people and what can we learn from them and, Mm -hmm. you know. And what parallels do you see in your own relationship with fictional depictions of relationships? Yeah. You know, like, is your relationship a Miranda and Steve or is it a Ross and Rachel? Yeah. Because if it's a Miranda and Steve, like... You're doing the work and you're compromising and continuing to grow. But if it's a Ross and Rachel, like maybe evaluate why. Are you yeah. communicating? Are you defining your relationship? If it's Betty and Don, run to therapy right now. Yeah, no, really, seriously. Like if your relationship is like Betty and Don's where the primary uh, focus of your relationship is winning the prize of the other person, like Blech. no, move on or yes. grow or try to grow with each other. Yeah. But you can't stay the same. No. No, please move on. As a person or in the relationship. Exactly. Yeah. All right. All right. And on that note. On that note, thank you, as always, for coming over. Yes. And recording. And thank you all for listening. And good luck out there.